Yet we live in this world. How do we thrive? How do we shine a light for Jesus? Peter will help us explore these questions and the hope that awaits. Strangers and Aliens, a study of the book of 1 Peter. The world is not our home, but we can have impact and we can thrive. We can know more of Christ. Pastor Kay have already introduced us and welcomed us here. But Father, I want, I want everyone to turn around where you're at, at home, wherever you might be, and look at the person next to you and say, Good morning, you strange and unusual person. Go ahead and do that. Pastor Caleb, good morning, you strange and unusual person. Because that's what we were called to be, strangers in this world. Our series, Strangers and Aliens, taken out of 1 Peter, is exactly what God tells us. We're supposed to be different than the world around us. Now, I brought one of my T-shirts. This is Petra, established 1972. One time I wore it to church, and Pastor David reminded me, he goes, you know they have retired. You know that they're no longer existent. I said, that's true, Pastor David. However, in 2010, I was at the reunion concert in Rapid City. It was awesome. I got to be able to worship them and hear these. It was definitely a blast from the past. They sang one of my favorite songs. And I would like to read it to you. Don't worry, I'm not going to try and sing it. But it's called, We Are Not of This World. It says, we are pilgrims in a strange land. We are so far from our homeland. With each passing day, it seems so clear this world will never want us here. We are not welcome in this world of wrong. We are foreigners who do not belong. We are strangers. We are aliens. We are not of this world. We are envoys. We must tarry. With this message, we must carry. There's so much to do before we leave with so many more who may believe. Our mission here can never fail. The gates of hell will never prevail. Jesus told us men would hate us, but we must be of good cheer. He has overcome this world of darkness, and soon we will depart from here. We are strangers. We are aliens. We are not of this world. We've been in 1 Peter. As we've been studying this, Peter has said to his fellow believers, we have this hope in heaven that cannot be touched. And so we do not put our hope in things of returning to the way it used to be. We do not put our hope in our freedom. We do not put our hope in our rights. We have a hope. And our hope is a living hope. It does not spoil. It does not diminish. It does not fade. It is kept secure for us. Our hope cannot be voted out by popular opinion. 
Our hope cannot be overturned by a split decision. Our hope cannot be robbed by some new ruling. Our hope is alive, and it has a name. His name is Jesus, and it does not disappoint. When we look at our culture and the struggles through that lens, it gives us strength and allows us to have joy. It allows us to be motivated toward holiness and to live lives that are distinct. It allows us to have a spirit of humility because we understand it's not what we've accomplished. It's not what we've done. It has already been accomplished for us. When people start to see that distinctiveness, when the natives start to notice there's something different, suddenly we will have a chance, as Peter says, to tell the night and day difference that God has made in our lives through Jesus As a result, maybe there'll be more on that day than when Christ returns, who we celebrate. So in chapter 5, Peter starts the end of his letter, urging leaders in the church to be faithful, to serve him faithfully. He desires that church leaders shepherd their flock for the good of the flock, not for selfish gain of the leader. He desires that leaders to be devoted to setting an example as a a Christ follower even in suffering, or maybe a better way to say it is especially in suffering. That's chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Then in verse 4, there's a promise to church leaders who remain faithful, that if they serve the church well, if they finish the race, that when Jesus come, they will, there will be kings and queens crowned in glory. Here at North Hills, we are blessed to have Pastor Dave as our under-shepherd, He's devoted and setting an example for all of us how to be a Christ follower. For me, Dave sets the bar high as he follows Christ. I strive to follow his example. Now, Peter moves quickly to talk to to those who are being led in the church. Leaders have a big responsibility, but so do those who are being led. Peter knew that a fiery trial was about to occur. And he wanted the entire church to be prepared. Peter gives three important admonitions to obey if they were to, be, to glorify God in this difficult experience. We're going through a difficult time right now. This first admonition is for us to be humble. We're going to begin in verse 5. In some way, you who are younger... Submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter already admonished believers to be submissive to government authorities. Chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Slaves to their masters. Chapter 2, verses 18 and 25. Wives to their own husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now he's commanding all believers to submit to God and 
to each other. First, we must submit ourselves to leaders and to act with humility to one another. Remember, that word submit is in the middle voice. It literally means place yourself in submission or to place yourself under. So it's willing. It's not forced. It's sitting down on the inside as well as the outside. This is the key. Biblical submission is placing yourself under someone by choice with a happy spirit. So what's the big difficulty in submission? It's pride. What's the biggest problem in leadership? It's pride. What is the solution to both of those? Humility. This is the theme throughout 1 Peter. Humility is the key. I love the word picture Peter uses here. He says, clothe yourself in humility. In other words, it's not forced, but you willingly and intentionally put it on. <coughs> Excuse me. Just like a pair of clothes. When you're living in a more hostile culture, that is not easy. Our pride wants to fight back. Our pride wants to demand to be heard. However, Peter says, clothe yourself in humility. So, before you go to school in the morning, put on some humility. Pull it out of the drawer. It's way in the back, but you want to put that on. Before you get dressed for work in the morning, throw some humility on. Choose to consider others better than yourself. Choose not to retaliate. Choose to have a teachable spirit. Show the kind of respect to others that you want to be shown. Then Peter quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, that God opposes the proud. Do you realize that a refusal to clothe yourself in humility means that for that day, God is opposing you? He's not just neutral or indifferent. Oh, well, they're choosing not to be humble. Peter says that he's in opposition to you. When we lower ourselves and put on humility, God will lift us up. He will exalt us. In verse 7, Peter tells the people that they should give their worries to God because he will soon come call them home. So much of 1 Peter is a call of God's people to live in holiness and humility. Unfortunately, sometimes holiness leads to self-righteousness. Unfortunately, sometimes holiness leads to pride. The moment holiness causes us to become proud, we're no longer holy. Humility is the foundation of holiness. Peter says to these people who are really experiencing persecution and hardship, cast your anxiety, all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. I love the language he uses because it reminds me of being a dad. Now, dads, I don't know where you are in your season of life, but you hear these words. Dad, can you carry this? I don't hear it much more, 
Three of my children are adults now. They don't live at home anymore. I just have Chrissy at home. She's much stronger now, much more independent than when she, when she was as a child. To be honest, I miss not having them ask me to carry something for them. We've been to Disney World multiple times, and I will tell you that I can remember carrying Dusty on my shoulders all around Disney World, and about eight years later, carrying Daniel all over Disney World on my shoulders. And then about seven years later, I carried Chrissy everywhere we went on my shoulders. Now my wife, Joanne, was like, you know, put them down, they can walk. She didn't understand that as a dad, I loved it when they said, Dad, can you carry this? Or even more to my heart, Dad, can you carry me? As a dad, I love that. When you are experiencing suffering of any kind, when you are experiencing the hardships of life, when the trip is really bumpy, cast all your cares on God because He cares for you and me. You're not just releasing them in the air. You are transferring ownership to God, and you're trusting Him to take care of the things because He cares for you. When my children say, Dad, can you carry me? I took it as pride. I would walk wherever they wanted me to go with them on me because I knew I was carrying my child. God says the same thing for us as His children, that He wants us to give Him the ownership of our worries, to give God our anxiety, those things that stress us out so He can carry us. Why? Because He loves us. He cares for us. In verse 8 and 9, we're going to move to the second admonition. First of all, we saw be humble. Here in verses 8 and 9, He tells us to be watchful. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. The same suffering we're facing right now because of COVID round two, the reason we are having to live stream our services because we can't have anyone in the auditorium is because the whole world is suffering the same thing. One reason God cares for us, why he's so concerned about us, why he wants us to transfer our ownership of our worries to him is because we have an enemy. As the serpent, Satan deceives. As the lion Satan devours. The word Satan means adversary. Devil means the accuser or the slanderer. The recipients of this letter had already experienced the attacks of the slanderer, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 4 and 14. Warren Wiersbe said that there were three practical instructions to have victory over their adversary. Number one, Respect him. 
He is dangerous. I once worked with an electrician. We were called out on a job. Said that there were sparks coming out of this electrical box. And when we got there, there was a big wires going into the box. It was carrying 440 volts. We took off the cover. And we took off the cover. We could see there was one connection, one wire going to it. And there's blue sparks just shooting out all over the place. I'm like, turn off the electricity. The electrician I was working with grabbed a T-handle Allen wrench. And he just stuck it in the box with all the blue sparks shooting all over. And he started turning it. Pulled it out, put it back in, and turned it. Every time he turned it, the sparks got smaller and smaller until when he had it completely tight, there was no more sparks. Now, this just floored me. I'm like, how can you work on 440 volts of electricity and not turn off the power? His response was, first of all, Michael, you got to respect electricity. Once you have a, a healthy respect for it, you can handle it. That came home to me. When you have a healthy respect for it, not a fear, but a healthy respect for it, you can handle it. He says, respect him. He's dangerous. The first thing Satan wants you to do is be afraid of him. He is a dangerous enemy. He has great power, great intelligence, plus a host of demons to assist him. But Peter says, be of a sober mind. Have our minds under control when it comes to conflict with Satan. We have a real enemy, but don't be frantic. What am I going to do? How is this going to happen? I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. Have your mind under control. Be of a sober mind. Realize that God has this. He has our back. First, respect him. Then he says, number two, recognize him. He is a great pretender. Peter says, be alert. Satan is always trying to place a counterfeit. Someone that we would look to for help. That's not really from God. He would deceive us had it not been for the Word of God and the Spirit of God that's living in us. The better we know the Word of God, the keener we will be. John wrote in 1 John chapter 4 about testing the spirits. Not every spirit that comes to you is from God. He said, Tell, try them out. Then in verse 3, he says, You little children, you have overcome because greater is he that is in you than he that's in this world. Peter says, have a sober mind. Have your minds under control when it comes to that conflict. Recognize him as that great pretender. As you study the word of God, allow God to direct you. You'll have a keener mind. And finally, resist him. Verse 9. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. You're not alone.
To resist them means to stand faith. Not in what you can do, but stand faith in God. Just like David, when he stood against the giant Goliath and trusted in the name of Jehovah, we are to take our stand against Satan in the name of Jesus. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Before we can stand against Satan, we must bow before God. That brings us to the final admonition. Be hopeful. Be humble. Be watchful. But now he says, be hopeful. Let's look at verses 10 through 11. Now, the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally... Now, this is in Holman Christian Standard Bible... He will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. The dominion belongs to him forever. Amen. As Peter gets to the end of his uh, book, at the end of this chapter, he closes on a positive note and reminds his readers that God knew what he was doing. He is in complete control. No matter how difficult the fiery trial may become, a Christian always has hope. As I looked at that, I found four reasons why we have this hope. Number one, we have God's grace. Our salvation is because of grace. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. He called us before we called him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. We have tasted that the Lord is gracious. God has been so graceful to all of us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, he says, You have tasted, you have experienced God's grace in your life. He says in verse, chapter 4, verse 10, that we have grace in many, many different forms. It's as we submit to God, God gives us grace, the grace we need to help us in every situation, including COVID-19. Second reason, we know we're going to go glory. Spending forever with God in heaven. That's our inheritance for which we were born. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. If we depend on God's grace when we suffer, that suffering will result in glory. The road may be difficult, but it leads to glory. And that's all that counts. When you can think about where you're going to spend eternity, the suffering that we endure on this life is, I don't want to make it little. I don't want to make your suffering seem like it's insignificant. Look at it in the eternity's eyes, and you'll see that it's the reward that's waiting for us, the glory that is waiting for us, far surpasses the suffering that we're going through right now.
Our third reason for this hope is that this suffering is only for a little while. He says, after you have suffered just a little bit, our trials will only last a little while in eternity's perspective. But the glory that results will last forever and forever and forever. And then I, the reason I chose the um, Holman Christian Standard Bible version, because I love what it says. In the original, it says, we know that our trials, first of all, will restore us. They will establish us. They will strengthen us. And they will support us. They will help us to be more Christ-like in all that we do. So then Peter closes his letter with some personal thoughts and some shout-outs. These reveal Peter's incredible demonstration of his care for God's people and the togetherness we share on this journey. We're not alone. Now, we tend to skip over these final greetings. In verse 12, he says, I have written you this brief letter through Sylvanus. I know him to be a faithful brother. Why? To encourage you and me and to testify to you and me that this is the true grace of God. Then he says, take your stand in it. When you can stand on God's grace, we don't deserve it. It's God pouring out his favor to us because he loves us. He says, when you can take your stand in that, you will get through this. Either you're going to be healed, you're going to be delivered, or you're going to die and spend eternity with Jesus, or Jesus is coming back and taking you home with him. I like the words of Kyle Eildeman. He said, brothers and sisters, the fellow followers of Christ, in this life, you will have trouble. Now, he's quoting Jesus when he said that. He says, you will have trouble. Things will be difficult. There will be suffering. There will be pain. As Peter did, we will live increasingly in a hostile word. But God cares for us. We can offer our worries to him, and we can embrace the hope that one day we will be with him forever. Now I'm going to close with the words of Peter in verse 14. Peace to all of you in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, for your peace.